You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. So our republic, our democratic republic, turns out we couldn't keep it. We had a nice run. Well, nicer for some than for others. Slavery wasn't nice. Crimes against humanity generally aren't. Jim Crow, not nice. Denying women the vote until 1920, that wasn't nice. The Chinese Exclusion Act, internment of Americans of Japanese descent and Japanese immigrants during the Second World War, not nice. Redlining, red baiting, blacklists, white supremacy, Selma, my lie, the trail of tears, not at all nice. And all of that came right off the top of my head. It is amazing how much not nice shit there is in our history. But it wasn't until this week that we could pronounce our system of checks and balances, the separation of powers, no man being above the law, all of that officially dead. Turns out Nixon wasn't wrong just before his time. When the president does it now, thanks to Senate Republicans, it's not illegal. Not anymore. Now, we haven't seen what happens when the president shoots someone on Fifth Avenue, but November is a long way off, and we don't yet know if the same rules apply when there's a Democrat in the White House, the rules being that there are no rules. And my guess is probably not, but we'll have to wait until a Democratic president declares climate change an emergency, which it is, and takes money Congress earmarked for defense spending, guns and warships and missiles, and spends that money instead on getting us off fossil fuels. Kind of like Trump declared immigration an emergency and stole money Congress appropriated for defense to spend on his stupid wall. And then maybe the next Democratic president can pressure France or Germany to dig up dirt on the Republican opponent. My guess is that Republicans would vote to remove a Democratic president from office for far less. And Democrats would too, because Democrats still believe in the rule of law. All Republicans believe in is the will to power. But don't mourn, as they say, organize. So instead of mourning this morning, I got online and I donated a little money to Amy McGrath, the Democratic former Marine combat pilot who's running against the odious Mitch McConnell in Kentucky. Maybe if we vote the bastards out, Trump, Pence, McConnell, Graham, Collins, Ernst, Gardner, McSally, all of them, we might be able to revive the not always nice and frequently imperfect thing that once passed for democracy in America. The sham impeachment of Donald J. Trump and the shamelessness of Senate Republicans weren't the only news stories I was following this week. There's another that caught my attention this week. It involves a Catholic priest. Now, I hope you're sitting down. A Catholic priest is going to prison and may be coming soon to a sex offender registry near you. Father Brian Stanley was sentenced last week for sexual assault. He had been asked to counsel a boy by that boy's parents And somehow that boy wound up mummified. He bound the teenager. Father Stanley bound the teenager with saran wrap and duct tape, then gagged and blindfolded him and locked him in what I can only assume was a very large and very crowded closet in a Catholic church in Otsego, Michigan. Fox 17 News primly noted, this type of activity is often sexually motivated. The way that's phrased, it's Almost like the news station was letting viewers know that this was worse than they thought, scarier than they thought, because sex. I rise now in defense of people who engage in this type of activity with consenting adult partners. It's actually scarier 
when this type of activity isn't sexually motivated. If you've been bound like that and locked in a closet and it's not because that shit turns you on and you sought it out, then you've either been kidnapped or you're being assaulted by someone who is sexually motivated but not interested in your consent. We should hope this type of activity is always sexually motivated and consensual. But please note, never leave a tied-up person alone, especially if there's anything covering their mouths that could restrict their breathing. Anyway, Father Stanley, who investigators determined had done this to other boys, was facing 15 years in prison but got just 60 days. But also a lifetime on a sex offender registry. Now, I know this is a big reach, but go with me. Just as it was once inconceivable that Catholic priests would ever face consequences, much less jail time for their crimes, just as it was inconceivable once that Catholic priests wouldn't be able to assault children with impunity, it currently seems inconceivable that the Trump crime family will ever face consequences for their crimes. So, things can change. I live in hope. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's. And on the magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, Peggy Orenstein, author of the best-selling Girls and Sex, joins us to discuss her new book, Boys and Sex. She has really important insights to share, and we get into it. All that coming up on today's show on the micro and the magnum. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. Get 50% off one item and free shipping when you enter the offer code SAVAGE at checkout. This episode of the Lovecast is brought to you by the good folks at Squarespace. They make it easy to build a beautiful website, blog, or online store. Head on over to squarespace.com slash savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SAVAGE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Dame Products is a woman-founded company making toys for sex. Developed and tested by real people with vulvas, they're engineered to bring your solo and couple play to new heights. Visit dameproducts.com slash savage to see how they're making the world a better place, one vulva at a time. Hey, Dan and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. Uh, I am a 29-year-old lady on the West Coast. And I'm very creative and kinky and looking to date at the moment. And I'm on all the apps and I have it in my profile. I have kinky on there because it's very important to me because in the past I've had not great like sexual chemistry long term because of just a lack of creativity on my partner's side. So I just like feel the need to advertise this and be like, yeah, this is something that's really important to me. I'm looking for a monogamous relationship, but kink is important. And, oh, my God, every man's list, just a, just a wild list of their fantasies. You know, as soon as they see kink, they go, oh, what are you into? What are you into? Sh- should I just, like, take this as a disclaimer? Like, oh, if this guy doesn't understand what that means to just have kink in my profile, like kink positive or whatever, if he can't take that seriously and instead is like, let me tell you a huge list of all of my fantasies now, because that's what I keep running into. It's just like men giving me crazy long lists of their fetishes immediately. There's no spice there. Be careful what you wish for, huh? You don't want to date any vanilla guys, so you put kink in your profile and then you're overwhelmed by responses from guys who have kinks, probably sexually frustrated guys who've only ever dated vanilla women who've never been able to act on their kinks, with laundry lists of things that they'd like to do and try and experience. And what these guys are demonstrating in that moment is just 
poor judgment, low emotional IQ. They're getting out over their skis. But they're the guys that you want. They're the guys that you're seeking out. Non-vanilla guys. And a lot of those non-vanilla guys out there, again, have probably never been able to act on their fantasies. And then there's that supply and demand kink problem where there's a lot more men into whatever kink you might cite than women. And yeah, you are going to be overwhelmed by these kinds of responses. So what do you do? Well, you can take kink out of your profile and then have to go on a lot of dates with guys who are vanilla. But, you know, every once in a while you go on a date with somebody where kink wasn't discussed in advance and you get to laying your kink cards on the table and you find out that they have kinks too. Maybe kinks that align with yours in a lid pot sort of way. Or you leave kink in your profile and you draft a standard response when somebody overwhelms you with their laundry list or their fantasy scenarios and you just tell the guy, hey, I'm glad you're kinky too. This is just one thing that I'm looking for and I'd like to see if we connect as human beings first, if there's some sort of emotional, social, or romantic connection and then we can move on to exploring all of these crazy kinks together after that's established. And some guys who get that email are going to react badly, block those guys. But other guys, perhaps a small percentage, but a significant percentage of those guys are going to react by emailing you back or DMing you back to say, oh, yeah, sorry about that. It was late. I was a little excited. You don't see many women who list kink in their profile. And I kind of got ahead of myself. Let's go get a coffee. Go have a coffee with one of those guys, a guy who can if not at the outset, not in the first contact, demonstrate high emotional IQ, at least in the walking back of that first message to you, demonstrate better emotional IQ. Hi, Dan. I'm a 21-year-old gay male in Texas. Me and my boyfriend of about six months just started being open and um, having threesome and occasionally seeing guys on our own. But we made a deal to go hook up with this older couple in the city that we're from, but we, on the way, so like, like after talking for a little bit, whatever, exchanging information and stuff, me and my boyfriend headed to go meet these guys at their apartment, and they were a little older and definitely very well off, so it was a really nice apartment. Um, we were just asking for instructions on, like, how to park and stuff and get up there, and they were already being a little, like, kind of rude about it, like, just like, okay, just park and come up, but it's, like, the middle of downtown, it's, like, a little difficult and like, I don't know, they're just asking, they're being kind of rude. So it was already kind of like, okay. But then after we arrive, they tell us that their live-in boyfriend is there too and like send us pictures of this other guy. And he was like attractive. It was just like really weird that they didn't tell us that there was going to be another person before. So we but so uncomfortable. We were just like, okay. Um, went through with it. So we on the way up there, go up there, um, my boyfriend uses the bathroom, and while he's using the bathroom, I'm, like, talking to the other guys. Um, they're already, like, in their underwear making out, and the older guy in the couple um, is, like, off in the kitchen or something. My boyfriend comes back in the room, starts undressing, and the older guy comes in, and he's like, oh, hey, also, by the way, another guy is coming, and he's 11 inches, so you're going to have to take that one, too. And my boyfriend was planning on bottoming and of course this upset him because and upset me too felt taken advantage of and kind of like we were trapped into an like an orgy that we didn't consent to so my boyfriend obviously is like and me i like get up and we're like no like this isn't what we signed up for like 
sorry, like, we're leaving. And the older guy slaps him over the head and is like, don't fucking talk to me in my house like that. And my boyfriend starts going off, and I'm nervous because there's three guys. We're in an unknown, like, unfamiliar apartment. So I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's leave. Let's leave. We end up getting out fine and safe and everything, but definitely shook us both up. And we both had interactions with older gay men like this, like them just being like rude or like trying to take advantage of us. And I guess my question is like, why is that a thing? Like, why do some older gays feel that they're entitled to take advantage of like younger gays? Like, shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't they be like helping out the younger guys in the community? Like, I just felt like it was just so rude and like, like they were trying to use us. Very very gross situation, but I just wanted to know your thoughts on it there. When you were parking the car and you found out that there was going to be a surprise other person there and they were treating you rudely or whoever was on the phone was treating you rudely about finding a place to park and you had that, okay, I don't know, feeling in your gut, that was when you should have not found a parking spot and driven home and hooked up with someone else. That okay feeling was the first red flag in many, many red flags and good on YouTube for pulling your pants up and getting out of there. Fuck those guys. There are lots of shitty people in the world. Some of them happen to be shitty older people. And while it would be wonderful to live in a world where everybody was looking out for everybody and older people in the gay community, older gay men felt a certain responsibility, even in sexual interactions, even in transactional sexual interactions, to be kind and not assholes and not engage in physical violence or manipulate people or lie. There are a lot of shitty people out there and there's something about seeking sex from anonymous partners that can bring out the shittiest shit in the shittier people because they don't know you. They're never going to see you again. They're interested in you for one thing and one thing only and obviously they were willing to manipulate, lie, pressure, even threaten violence to get what they wanted from you. I don't think that that's an indictment of all older gay men everywhere. There were probably tens of thousands of older gay men in the city where you live who weren't slapping around 21-year-old kids who'd come over for a hookup that night, the night that happened to you. And there were probably lots and lots of hookups, intergenerational hookups, that went well where people were respectful of each other's needs and feelings and were honest and open and didn't try to manipulate anyone into an orgy that they didn't consent to. My advice to you would be, again, to trust your gut. That moment in the, when you're looking for parking, that was the first sign that maybe these guys weren't good guys. And not to go into interactions with anyone who's gay and has a hard on and has their pants around their ankles expecting them to be looking out for your best interest. Now, some people are capable of doing that. Some people are capable of having anonymous sex or quasi or nearly anonymous sex or this kind of sudden hookup sex without treating that other person like an object. But there are some people out there who treat other people like shit. And often they get away with it because they're wealthy, they're powerful, or they manipulate someone into believing that the less risky option at that moment is to just give the person pressuring you what they want. And that's the easiest and fastest way some people think to extract yourself from that kind of dicey situation. I'm glad that's not what you and your boyfriend did. You got dressed, you left. You had a bad experience. 
people do. People have bad experiences, not just with older couples. People have bad experiences with one-night stands, with hookups, with younger people. Lacey Peterson had a very bad experience with Scott Peterson, the man that she married. There are shitty people everywhere. The trick is to be self-critical enough and self-scrutinizing enough to not be a shitty person yourself or know when you're being shitty and try to course correct for your shittiness because all of us are shitty sometimes and recognizing when someone is being shitty to you or is shitty and getting away from that shitty person as quickly as you possibly can. Sounds like that's what you and your boyfriend did. Good on you in the future. Maybe vet a little bit more carefully. Not that you should have to, but in your own self-interest, have a little bit longer interaction with someone and be clear. You can say, we've done this sort of thing and there were more people there than we were told. People were more people were invited than we were told. And just so you know, like we're down for what we've discussed and nothing more. And if it's there are any surprises, we're out of there. And we expect kindness and we'll give kindness in return. Throwing that out there can scare a shitty person off. Throwing that kind of demand out there. If somebody's plotting, planning to lure a couple of 22-year-olds or 21-year-olds into their apartment and then invite all of their shitty friends over, just hearing you assert that in advance, those people will ghost you. They will go silent because they know they can't take advantage of you in the way that they want to take advantage of someone. Really sorry this happened to you. Really sorry this happened to you and your boyfriend. Free stuff is the best, but free stuff that will ignite your Valentine's Day is even better. When you go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item, you will get it at 50% off. That's amazing by itself, but here's where they load on the free stuff. When you enter my exclusive code at checkout, SAVAGE, not only do you get 50% off that one item, you also get 10 tantalizing free items. First, for your viewing pleasure, six free movies. Next, a free mystery pack that includes an item for men, a special toy for women, and something for anyone, plus free shipping. Now, that's a lot of free Valentine's Day stuff. So head on over to adamandeve.com and be sure to use offer code SAVAGE. Again, that's S-A-V-A-G-E, SAVAGE, for 50% off nearly any item and a whole pile of free Valentine's Day stuff. That's SAVAGE at adamandeve.com. Hey, Dan and the tech-savvy at-risk youth, uh, this uh, late 30s queer guy calling from the West Coast. Uh, I'm calling today for some advice regarding a, a good friend of mine and uh, him dealing with bisexuality or um, kind of repressed homosexuality, it seems like, uh, while in a marriage. We've had multiple conversations over the years uh, about his attraction to men, hookups and things like that that he's done, usually on the sly. Things have happened while he was dating his current wife that ended up in some big arguments with him and his wife. And recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got a traumatic phone call. He was crying and saying he totally messed up and evidently had hooked up with a gentleman that he used to see in the past on Craigslist. Definitely not being very uh, open with his, with his now wife, who is the gal that uh, I guess, forgave him in the past. She does not want an open relationship and does not really support him being kind of on the spectrum. And he calls me when he has these these hit rock bottom uh, experiences where he just can't get out of his head. And it always revolves around hooking up with a guy and then feeling like he contracted a sickness or disease and some type of STD. Uh, I'm in the medical field. Uh, I tell him, obviously, he needs to go get checked. Symptoms don't sound to be STD related, it's 
usually in his head, it always is. Then he has conversations with his wife, but doesn't really know how to have those. And uh, I just think he's in a bad space. Just wondering what your advice would be to him. I think he needs either a, a straight conversation with his wife to have an open relationship, to make that compatible with, with their goals as a couple, or uh, he needs to um, get a divorce. I remember years ago, someone telling me they didn't accept my homosexuality. And I told them it wasn't a package on their fucking porch they needed to sign for. That they accepted my homosexuality or not was entirely irrelevant to my life and my homosexuality. Your friend's wife doesn't accept his bisexuality. So the fuck what? His bisexuality isn't a package on her porch that is going to disappear or be returned to sender or evaporate or something if she doesn't accept it. Your friend is doing a terrible thing. He is lying to this woman about who he is or who he's trying to be and cheating on her. And if they have a sex life, he's putting her health at risk. None of that is okay. And you should scream that into the phone the next time your friend calls you looking for comfort because he might have contracted an STI in his last interaction with a dude. But what she's done to him is also not okay. Telling him, knowing that he's bisexual and marrying him anyway on the condition that he stop being bisexual. That's just not rational. It's not loving. It's not kind. It's also not good self-care. She has to know that he's still exactly who he's always been sexually that he's just willing to deny it to her face and struggle against his same-sex attractions to keep the peace at home. What she's doing is kind of shitty and manipulative, and what he's doing is deceitful and shitty. And, you know, you want to say, oh, here's two people doing deceitful, shitty things and manipulative, shitty things. Maybe they deserve each other, and they don't deserve each other. They deserve to be freed from each other. So, yes – Yes, yes, yes to telling your friend that he needs to ask for an honest, open relationship, which he's unlikely to get, given what we know about his relationship with the wife, or get a divorce. A divorce, I think, would be the better plan here. And, you know, I've been in your position years ago at college where people would confide in me that they were gay and they would do this big, like, I'm closeted and gay and so tortured routine and expect me to sit there through every performance of – how tortured they were. And eventually I would lose my patience and tell them to fucking come the fuck out already. And that this bullshit Hamlet routine swanning around the stage, with these really self-inflicted wounds was tedious that after a while as an openly gay person listening to this bullshit is just boring. And that's what you should tell him. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Go to the STI clinic when you're worried that you might have contracted an STI. Don't call me. I don't want to hear about it anymore. When you're ready to come out and live with some integrity and honesty, I am in your corner. I will be there for you. I'm still there for you as a friend. Want to go to the movies and not tell me about all the cock you've sucked in the last two weeks? Great. Let's go to the movies. But I'm not here for this anymore. I am not here for this bullshit. Because in a way, you are enabling this. That he's running out and sucking dick, but then at least he thinks on some level he has the decency to feel terrible about it and guilty about it and paranoid about it. And those feelings, guilt, terror, paranoia, are more real to him and feel perhaps a bit more like penance if he can share them with someone. And he obviously can't share them with the wife 
And the nurse at the STI clinic isn't going to listen to all this bullshit. So he's abusing your friendship. Tell him that stops now. And he should stop abusing his wife too. And she should stop abusing him. And they should get a fucking divorce. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. They make it simple and intuitive to create your website, blog, or online store. And if you're like me, it has to be simple and intuitive because I know precious little about coding or web design. It's quite hopeless. But you can create a beautiful website yourself with Squarespace's all-in-one platform. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade, ever. They have templates that were created by clever designers that you can just drop in and it looks good right away. Thank God. Squarespace is used by a wide variety of creative types. Businesses, musicians, designers, freaks, musicians, artists, klezmer bands, restaurants, musicians, and more. If you plan to create a website for your project, whatever it is, Squarespace has all the tools you need to get it up and running quickly. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage. Hi, Dan. Late 30s, heterosexual female here. I have a question about parents. My dad is the host of a right-wing conservative Christian hate talk radio show, and that's been a source of great sorrow for me and great tension between us for many years. I just don't want to be in a relationship with someone who proclaims such hate and proud ignorance, much less someone who does it so publicly and for income. And it's not just his views about others. He actually treated me really terribly before my wedding. My husband is an atheist, and he's never apologized for his behavior or tried to make that right. But, you know, we live thousands of miles apart, so the strong boundaries have kind of set themselves, and I've been really content with the relationship, surface though it is, that we have together. Recently, my father was diagnosed with a terminal illness and was given only a couple years to live. So I know you say that a relationship is the best bargaining chip we have with hateful family, but does the prognosis of death change anything? Do I need to set aside my absolute disgust and horror at what he claims about gay people, saying the Holocaust and horrors of the Nazi regime could only have been started and carried out by gay people? And, and his completely hypocritical and pathetic support for Trump. Should I set aside all of that? I mean, I mean, do I owe him, just as a human being, compassion and grace in his final years? My boundaries have always seemed to be framed by the question of how do my dad and I live in this world together? And I just, I, I really just am kind of at a loss to know what to do now that he's dying. The other element is that my brother has strongly hinted that he thinks I'm being selfish or stubborn. And I know that my brother really wants us to be reconciled as a family. And so I feel pressure and guilt there too. And real concern because I really want to have a good relationship with my brother and his family long after this whole thing is over. So Dan, I would just love any advice you have for what I should do with my right wing hate Christian talk radio host father who is dying. Here's a fun fact before we get to your dilemma. Not only did the Nazis persecute gay people, not only did they make them wear pink triangles and send them to concentration camps where many were brutally murdered. The gay men in concentration camps who survived the war, survived the Holocaust, were re-imprisoned after liberation because they were still guilty of their crimes. Many of them had been convicted of acts of homosexuality. And the courts then, you know, the 19, late 40s, 50s, didn't recognize a concentration camp as a legitimate penal institution. So many 
of these gay men went right from concentration camps to prisons where they served their full sentence, no time served for the years they'd spent in Dachau. So fuck your father. I would, in your shoes, have a similarly distant relationship from my hateful father. You say that you've had a sort of surface relationship and you've been content with that and you have interacted with him intermittently from a distance and kept it civil and kept it surface. I don't see why that has to change just because your father is dying. You're not going to do a deep dive with dad on politics on his deathbed. And if he attempts to bring it up, if he wants to talk about gay people perpetrating the Holocaust, if he wants to talk about immigration, if he wants to say hateful anti-Semitic things, Tell him you don't want to hear it and that you don't agree with him and never will. You can also have deathbed conversations with someone who has disappointed you where you forgive them if it's in you for the ways in which they wronged you. Sometimes people need to do that, not for the person dying, but for themselves to let go of it, to let the anger die with the person that you're angry at. I would urge you to consider that. Not an obligation, just think about it. And I do think you need to take your brother's feelings into account, not in going overboard, not in managing your father's care, not being there every moment, but just engaging with your father a bit for your brother's emotional comfort so that you can come together as a family once or twice more before your father dies where you can forgive him and you can walk out of the room if he starts popping off about gay people in the Holocaust or whatever – You can still come together as a family, not if you can't get to a place where you can forgive your father for your father's sake, but for your brother's sake, not for the sake of your relationship with your dying, shitty, hateful father, but for the sake of your relationship with your brother, who's still going to be there. And you would like to be able to be there for him and have him be there for you after your shitty father's show is canceled. You're not betraying yourself or your beliefs if you go through the motions with your dad a little bit out of consideration for your brother's feelings. It's not a way of honoring your father, who he was, what he stood for, the shitty, horrible things he said. It's a way of honoring your brother and your relationship with your brother. Fake it till you make it to the funeral home. As we've talked about on the show a lot, we should seek out what's right for us, what works for us, and not compromise on what's most important. Our relationship should add value to our lives, especially in the bedroom. So why don't we think the same way about our sex toys? Dame Products is a woman-owned sex toy company making the next generation of vulva-tested, vulva-approved vibrators. Their first toy, Eva, is the couple's vibrator that broke the internet, delivering hands-free clitoral stimulation during penetrative sex. Their line of vibrators and accessories are made with medical-grade silicone, smart design principles, and lots of love, earning glowing press from the New York Times, W Magazine, and many more. Whether you're a couple looking for an extra boost where it matters or on a journey of self-exploration, we're sure they'll earn a spot on your nightstand. And the best part? Dame offers hassle-free returns within 60 days, so your satisfaction, in every sense, is literally guaranteed. Go to dameproducts.com slash savage today for $10 off. Hey, Dan, 28-year-old guy from Ontario calling, calling about an ex-girlfriend of mine. Um, I was dating this wonderful girl for two and a half years. Uh, She was truly everything I could ask for. Great sex, really amazing person. 
But uh, the problem arose when I moved away to go to law school. It was about four hours away from where I'm from. And uh, within a couple of months of going to school, I got super overwhelmed with the workload. Didn't really see how I was going to be able to do the long distance for three years and balance it all. Thought I was doing everyone a favor um, and I broke up with her. Uh, she was totally crushed and didn't see it coming. And we just kind of, we didn't, we didn't talk for a while. But I, I soon enough realized that I'd made it, thought I'd realized I'd made a huge mistake. I really came to regret it. Anyway, uh, about two months later, maybe a little less, tried to reach out um, and see her when I was back in town. Uh, and she had no interest in seeing me. I made that pretty clear before and after that. It was radio silence. Um, at the prompting of my therapist, I then wrote her a letter a couple months later. Uh, and she actually sent me back the letter uh, with edits, uh, pointing out how I'd basically only talked about myself in it, which was totally, totally valid. Anyway, it's now been a year or just over a year, and I really can't get over it. And it's twofold. The first thing is, you know, I, I do think I made a mistake. I think I got overwhelmed and I jumped ship way too early. And I think it could have been something really incredible for, you know, years to come. Um, and the second thing is, even if I made a permanent mistake, I would love to sit down with her and just really apologize uh, and make it clear because it's it's just chewing me up inside still uh, how much I made her hurt. And so I'm just wondering, is that, you know, where do I go from here? She's made it pretty clear she doesn't want to see me, so I certainly don't want to intrude. Uh, and I don't want it to come off like I'm just looking for my own closure. But at the same time, uh, I'm really struggling to move on. I'm having a really hard time with it. Uh, tried a new relationship, just not working because uh, I'm holding everything in contrast to this and I just can't seem to get over it. So I'd love to know what you uh, what you think about that. You know how you sometimes have to take no for an answer? You always have to take fuck off, go away, leave me alone for an answer. That's not the opening gambit in a debate or someone's demented rom-com. She is not interested in any further contact with you. You say you're chewed up inside by how much you hurt her. You need to consider that obviously, given her reaction, contact hearing from you hurts her, makes whatever hurt she still walks with, limps with, worse. So closure, we've talked about this a lot on the show. Closure isn't something that somebody else gives you. It's not a fucking birthday present. It's not a Christmas present. It's not a gold watch upon your retirement. Closure almost always is something we do for ourselves. You have to do it for yourself. This relationship is over. You ended the relationship for reasons, not for crazy reasons. Lots of people have ended relationships because they were overwhelmed by schoolwork. Lots of people have ended relationships because they didn't think they could do the long distance thing for three years. But what your girlfriend or ex-girlfriend likely took away from that was you could take or leave her. Obviously, you just left her and that you weren't willing, able, capable of working around whatever difficult circumstances you might be in at this time to save or preserve the relationship, even if that meant stepping back from the relationship in a significant way. You just blew it the fuck up and blew it the fuck up. It sounds like in a unilateral way. It doesn't sound like this is a conversation that you had with her about I'm overwhelmed at school. I don't want to do the long distance thing. Let's take a break. Let's end this and see where we both are in a few years time. But I need to focus on myself. It doesn't sound like you handled this well. It sounds like bolt from the blue. It was over. No negotiation, no handholding. 
no compassion. You screwed the pooch. Sometimes the pooch cannot be unscrewed. And you're just going to have to live with that, walk with that, process it, grieve it, mourn it. Obviously, the whole time you were in law school and until the moment you contacted her a year ago, you were harboring some hope that maybe you could get back together again. So you didn't grieve the relationship three or four years ago when you actually ended it. You've only been grieving it since you found out, since she let you know that it was over forever. You've only been grieving that for six months, 12 months. And in that time you had one relationship that didn't work out and you were comparing the person you were dating to her. Yeah, that's all normal immediately after the breakup stuff. And I think the last year for you really has been the immediate aftermath of the breakup. And so you're, you're reeling now in a way you weren't four years ago. She's been reeling for four fucking years and she doesn't want to hear from you again. Don't contact her again. Like I told another caller today, fake it till you make it, get out there and date, meet other people. The best way to get over someone is under someone else as the saying goes. And eventually you will work through this grief, but there's no getting her back. There's your closure for you. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. I'm a 30-something male calling from California. I have a question about wedding etiquette as an officiant. My sister went through a really terrible divorce a few years ago with a man who was cheating and abusing drugs and alcohol. It was an unhappy marriage for many years, and she finally got safely out. Fast forward, and she's met another guy. He's great, everything that her ex wasn't. He has one kid, and she has two. They moved in together and blended their families, but they didn't scramble their DNA. They got engaged about a year ago and asked me to officiate the wedding. I've officiated many weddings, and my sister's always been wanting me to officiate hers if she ever got remarried. I was thrilled. Here she was, happier than I'd seen her in years, with a great guy. However, about three months ago, he went on a month-long coke bender and ended up in inpatient rehab. The wedding was put on hold indefinitely, and during the 30 days he was in rehab, my sister discovered that he had been sleeping with his ex and hiring sex workers throughout their entire relationship. He was even sexting with a woman and her 19-year-old daughter the night before he went into rehab, as he put it, to save he and my sister's relationship. He's out of rehab now, and within a month he was drinking again. He's back living with my sister, and all signs point to the wedding being back on. If this does come to pass, which it looks like it will, what should my answer be when she asks me to officiate her wedding? I don't think I can do it in good conscience because, frankly, his lies were so great and so well hidden from everyone in his life that I don't trust him. And I don't trust him not to cause my sister even more pain down the line. It doesn't feel right to me as an officiant if I don't believe the two people should get married to get up and bless their union. Am I being too dramatic? Should I just do it? Or do I have to have a difficult conversation and risk damaging my sisters and my relationship by telling her I can't officiate? So your sister got out of one terrible relationship with a lying asshole who had substance abuse problems and finds herself in what appeared at first, even to outsiders, to be a wonderful relationship, but turned out to be another relationship with a lying asshole with a drug and alcohol problem. Your sister, after he got out of rehab, should have had his Bags packed and sitting on the porch waiting for him. God, I ache for his poor kid in this recently blended family. But she shouldn't marry this guy. And if she goes ahead 
with this wedding and marries this guy, you're under no obligation to officiate. And you should, I mean, you're going to have to tell your sister you're not going to do it. But you should risk having that conversation with your sister. That is often the price that we pay as siblings. It's often the price we pay as friends to level with someone, to level with a sibling, to level with a really close friend when they're about to do something really dumb, marry somebody really dumb, scramble their DNA together with somebody really dumb. You have to take that risk of speaking your piece one time. You speak your piece. You tell them what you think and how you feel. You ask them what they're thinking. You ask them what they're feeling. You let them know that you'll be in their corner, that you love and support them, but you don't support this. And then you let the chips fall where they may. And they might be mad at you. They might blow up at you. They might cast you out. But they'll know that when things go south, because you will have told her when things go south, that she can rely on you, that she can call you. It helps at those moments to tell that person you're humbling with that if and when they do call you, you will not I told you so them. That you will just pitch in and help. You will not ladle on the guilt because people will stay in terrible relationships for fear of admitting to family or friends that they were right. For fear of being I told you so'd, people will remain in marriages that they're already ready to end. They're just so terrified of losing face. So when you have these sorts of conversations with someone, be sure to tell them that if and when they need out and they need help, it won't be losing face to call you because you will not. I told you so. Good luck. All right. Before we get to your response calls, let's read your tweets. Soch in Pence tweets. Someday I hope to give people advice as gently and humorously as Dan Savage does on the Savage Lovecast. But in my case, without the ads for me undies or talk space, which is not to understate the importance of therapy and comfortable underwear. At Fesshole tweeted, I love my wife and she loves me but refuses to have sex. Suggested counseling but she refuses because she's just gone off sex. I don't want to divorce her because I still love her. But do I cheat? She's against opening the relationship too. To which at Rosa Eaton responded on Twitter, listen to Dan Savage's Savage Lovecast. He would tell you that she is holding you hostage. Esther Perel would say that the victim of the affair is not always the victim of the marriage. Her podcast, Where Should We Begin?, would help you too. Esther's books and her podcasts, I recommend them all the time, so I am definitely seconding that advice. I would add, of course, that the original tweeter, Fesshole, should do what he needs to do to stay married and stay sane. And since his wife isn't interested in sex, he's not cheating her out of anything she wants, which means it's not really cheating. And finally, at Cave Dweller tweets, Hey, at Fake Dan Savage, wondering if you knew your lingo was featured prominently in Netflix's You, Season 2, Episode 6, hashtag GGG, hashtag good giving and game. I've heard that. People have sent me clips and I have tried to get through enough of you to actually see the scene that not only features GGG but Penn Badgley in bondage, but I just can't watch shows, fictional, documentaries, anything about serial killers. Instead, I'm watching season three of The Crown right now, which also features some marital advice, Queen Elizabeth to Princess Margaret, about how you gotta do what you need to do to stay married and stay sane. People have told me about that. Looking forward to seeing that moment myself. All right, if you want me to maybe read your tweet about the Savage Lovecast on an upcoming episode, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now your response calls. 
Hi guys, this is a response call. Just want to say that I've been listening to the Savage Lovecast for a long time now and out of all the calls I've heard and all the kinky shit and all the weird and horrible things that people do to each other, the most disturbing thing I have ever heard was the man whose girlfriend had a threesome with his daughter and her boyfriend and the guy thought it was fine. What the fuck? I mean, what the fuck? What the fuck? Hi, Dan. Um, I'm calling about the Findom question in episode 692. I I think everything that you said was really fantastic. It all definitely applies. Uh, But I think I, I got the impression that this caller may not have ever had a negotiation conversation with her kink partner. Or if they did, maybe it was too early for her to know where some of her limits were. So if I might suggest, Uh, that they sit down and have a negotiation conversation outside of the world of the kink, but just in kind of a vanilla setting between the two of them and have a real, you know, head to head on what he wants, where her limits are, and how they can achieve this together, they might find uh, a little more harmony in their kink life. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy At-Risk Youth. I was just calling with a comment about the opening rant on episode 692. You know, if I had a dollar for every time I read a comment online or hear someone say that they're tired of having the gay agenda or gay stuff, whatever, shoved down their throat, I'd have a lot of dollars. All right, we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number to call with your questions or comments. Please do try to keep it under three minutes, or you can record it yourself on your phone using your voicemail app and then send it to voicemail at savagelovecast.com. My Dirty Little Porn Film Festival is coming to a town near you soon. Next stop for Hump, Miami, Oakland, Los Angeles. Head to humpfilmfest.com to get your tickets now. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Peggy Orenstein on Twitter at Peggy Orenstein. And Valentine's Day is coming up. And if you are dating or fucking or friends with benefiting a Savage Lovecast listener who's only got the micro, not the magnum, you can gift them the magnum at SavageLovecast.com for Valentine's Day. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.